Uh, as I was thinking about it this week, the word new, uh, this is New Year Sunday, and the word new is one of God's favorite ways of describing his work in the world. Uh, Jesus spoke of a new commandment in John 13 and a new covenant in Luke 22. The Bible describes believers as new creations. It speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. God will put a new spirit within us, says Ezekiel 11, and a new song in our mouths. He is the God who is making all things new. And in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, which we're going to be spending a little time in this morning, we find another great example of a God who loves movement, growth, transformation, newness. It says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, one of the observations we need to make here on this New Year Sunday, I don't know if you guys are the sort to do New Year's resolutions. Sometimes I'll talk to somebody and they'll be like, I don't do New Year's resolutions. And then other people are like, I always do a New Year's resolution. Um, we're kind of all over the map on that. But New Year's is kind of a time, a natural time, I think, for people uh, to kind of take stock of where they're at, where they're going, what am I going to do differently in the coming year? And I think something we need to be pretty square about is that there are no geographic solutions to problems that we carry around inside of us. Now, this coming year will be no different from the last year if we ourselves remain unchanged, if we're the same. I don't think it's at all uncommon for people to leave jobs or schools or churches or various kinds of relationships because things went bad. But when they try to start over in a new setting or with new people or with a new turning of the calendar, they inevitably find that the same problems they experienced in the old context crop up in the new. And the truth here is that no matter how far you go or how fast you run, you cannot put distance between you and yourself. So God in his word calls us to put off the old self and to put on the new. Don't seek out a new context. Do some work in the midst of whatever context you're in first. Uh, and so God in his word tell, talks to us about putting off the old self and putting on the new. It's not always a fresh start and a new setting that we need. It's not always January 1st that we can look to for some magical spark of change. Oftentimes, this is just a, an illusion. It's really just an expression of a desire for change than any real meaningful progress towards it. Now, there are a few clues in this passage that we just read from Ephesians 4 that what God has in mind when he calls us to put off the old self and to put on the new, that what he's talking about is not merely behavior modification. I think we would be doing a disservice to this passage if we boiled this down to a command 
to stop doing bad stuff and start doing good stuff. I don't think that's what God is saying exactly, or at least not merely that. And the first clue that this is not what these verses are calling us toward is found in verse 22 when it says that part of the old self that needs to be put off is characterized by deceitful desires. And then in verse 24, the new self that God commands us to put on will be characterized by true righteousness and holiness. So he speaks of true holiness or sincere, genuine holiness. And he also speaks of our desires. And in both instances, God is speaking to the inner world of a person's motivations and affections. So this is not merely a matter of changing outward behavior. I don't think that's what he means when he says, put off the old self, put on the new. And the other clue here is that Paul doesn't say, stop doing bad things and do good things. No, instead, he uses this kind of highfalutin language. He says, put off the old self and put on the new self. What you need is a new self, not new resolves, not new behaviors. Now, that's interesting. This idea of putting on and putting off a self clearly runs deeper than merely changing a behavior. So that's the first thing we need to establish. This is not a call to simply engage in behavior modification. And this needs to be followed quickly, though, by another observation, which is that this is clearly a command to do something. Now, this is not a call to be active and not... This is a call to be active, not passive. You are to put off and put on. But I think we need to be very... Um, clear in our language about what that means, and we'll get more to this in a second. But for just a moment, pause with me and consider here at the beginning of the new year that God is calling you, His people, to an active response to what we're seeing here. We're called to do something in response to what we're seeing. It's a call to action, and this fits with language from some other passages that we find in our Bibles. I think uh, the main idea here is that you are not like a piece of debris caught up and borne along in the current of events and your passions. You're not something that's passively just being acted upon. You're being called to actively put on and put off. For example, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, he says, "'Do you not know that in a race all the runners run?' but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run as a man running aimlessly. I do not fight as a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I may not be disqualified for the prize." What Paul is describing in these verses is not a passive person. It's a person who is uh, moving with single-minded, disciplined, active pursuit of something. He's like an Olympic athlete. The author of Hebrews uses a similar analogy in Hebrews 12.1, saying, "'Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles.'" And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
Wasn't Jesus also talking about the single-minded pursuit of God-given things when he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God? Now, it's clear from these and other verses that God does not will for us, his church, to run aimlessly or to fight like people beating the air. So as we come to this new year, one, we should not be passive. We should not just go with the flow. We should not just hope for the best. We should not just live without a marked intentionality and purpose. This command to put off and put on is a clear call to action. Ephesians 5, 14 through 16 is another portion of Scripture which comes to mind. It says, Awake, O sleeper, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Time is a finite resource. It's a limited thing. And in light of the limited number of days that all of us have, the Bible calls us to look carefully, be wise, make the best of the time. And whenever someone approaches the wise stewardship of a limited resource, whether it be money, medicine, manpower, or something else, they will find it necessary to plan carefully to ensure that they do the most good with what they have while wasting as little as possible. And the limited resource that comes into view this New Year's Day is our number of days. And although it's a shame to waste money, it is much more so to waste one's life. And what is life but a collection of days? I think one of the great tragedies of my own life, and here I'm just speaking of Josh Tate, is that so many good resolves that I form, um, I say, I'll start tomorrow. And (laughs) days turn into weeks, weeks, months, months, a year, and what happened? I don't know. And so really it's a matter of the days that we, how we're going to choose to spend our days. Uh, There is a way of living that is marked by sleepy oblivion. And just kind of a profound wasting of days. Paul calls his readers to wake up and live in a way that is more alert to who God created them to be and to his calling on their lives. So these verses are not a command to simply or merely change our behavior. That's true. But they're also clearly a command to do something. So how do we obey this command? I believe that the answer is found in verse 23. Right between verse 22, where it says, put off your old self, and verse 24, where it says, put on the new self, verse 23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the connection between the laying off, the putting off of the old, and the putting on of the new. And we see this connection made even more explicitly in a passage of Scripture in Colossians 3 that closely parallels this one in Ephesians 4. If you um, study the Colossians 3 passage and the Ephesians 4 passage, uh, both written by Paul, they parallel each other in some remarkable ways. In Colossians 3.10 it says, "...and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Now, notice very carefully, in verse 22, the old person that Paul tells us to put off is corrupted by desires that are fueled by deceit. 
by lies, by the absence of truth. But then in verse 24, the new person is created in righteousness and holiness that is, a, that is flowing out of what is true. Right attitudes and emotions and actions are born from true views of what is true. God and His Word revealing us what is true spiritually. And the bridge that leads us from the corrupting deceit in verse 22 to the sanctifying truth in verse 24 is the renewing of the spirit of the mind in verse 23. And so putting on the new man is going to involve, of necessity, forming good resolves. In other words, I'm going to, in other words, I'm going to stop doing bad stuff and start doing new stuff. Now, I, I said earlier that this verse isn't merely that, but it can't be less than that either. There will be the forming of good resolves. There will be the Holy Spirit making us aware of certain patterns in our lives that are not God-honoring, that are not obedient to what He has commanded in His Word. But if we simply go at it like a to-do list item or a New Year's resolution without paying attention to verse 23, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, I think we will be uh, frustrated (laughs) in the pursuit of these good resolves in the coming years. It'll be futile. John 17, 17 says this. What we're talking about really is sanctification, which if you're kind of new to Christianity or you're just kind of checking Christianity out, that's one of those $5 words that Christians throw around that's not, we don't, many of us don't have a working definition in our minds for. Sanctification is a word, I don't know another word for it, so I have to use it. Uh, But in Christianity, There's two words that you need to know. One is justification, and one is sanctification. Justification is a once-for-all moment where when you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, He's made you, um, He's given you the gift of belief in the gospel, that Jesus died for you on the cross, that all of your sins, Jesus paid for the penalty for that on the cross, and you believe God when He says that He will declare you not guilty for all of your sins based on what Jesus did for you. Based on your faith in Jesus, all of your sins won't be held against you. Justification is a legal term meaning not guilty. It's a wonderful thing for God to look at you and say not guilty. And in Christianity, we're not guilty, not on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Jesus took the penalty. He was declared guilty. He was condemned. He was nailed to a cross, and He died a horrible death in your place. So not only was all of your sin transferred to Jesus, but all of His righteousness was transferred to you. And justification is a once-for-all transfer by which you are justified. You're made right with God. It is once for all, it, is, it does not happen as a process. It's a gift. But then on the tail end of being justified begins a process of sanctification. Everyone who has been justified goes on to become sanctified. Sanctification, as opposed to justification, is a process that God brings us along whereby over time we become more and more like the God who saved us. 
When you become a Christian, it's not like signing up for a political party or a club. It's a supernatural thing. The Bible says you've been made into a new creation. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within you and gives you the capacity and the desire for things that you didn't have the capacity for before. And it is new affections, new desires. What's born in you is something supernatural and new. And, that's, and so nobody who is truly justified, who gets the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, does not then go on to become sanctified. Uh, I think uh, very often in the Christian life, we talk about salvation in the past tense. But I think one of the most reliable truths that we have truly passed from death to life is not an experience that happened in the past, but it's a present in which we are more and more coming to resemble the God who saved us. That Jesus is, we're living as a, like a living reminder of him. Not perfectly, but sincerely. So we're talking about sanctification here when we're talking about putting off the old and putting on the new. Paul is writing to people who have been justified, but they're still struggling to bring under Jesus' lordship all the wild and woolly corners of their heart. There's still parts of their mind and their heart that are unsubdued. They're not put off. They're not torn down. And so Paul is calling out to them to live in a way that reflects outwardly the inner transformation that has been begun in them. To put that off. No longer live as you once did. Now John 17, 17 says this, to come back to this idea. Verse 23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth Your word is truth. In other words, this idea of sanctification is going to happen in coordination with being in the word of God, in the truth. The answer is, how do you become renewed in the spirit of your mind? The answer is to fill the mind continually with truth about spiritual, eternal, heavenly reality. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul says... We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now how? How is that happening? Well, Paul goes on, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul was renewed in the spirit of his mind by filling his mind with the unseen truths of eternity. And all this happens so that the deceitfulness of the world is pushed out. Uh, I always think about our minds as like a garden. Now, when we lived in Florida, it was amazing. It was the only place I've ever lived where we could garden 12 months out of the year. People had winter gardens and summer gardens. You would grow different things, which was totally alien for me growing up in Vermont. You know, just the idea that you could be growing broccoli in January, that was really weird. Um, But one thing about Florida was you had to stay on top of your garden because you would turn your back on it and come back five minutes later and weeds would have just taken the whole thing over. Uh, They had kudzu vines and all kinds of stuff that would grow up. You could could hear it growing if you stood on the back porch. And so if you didn't constantly weed, 
and take the hoe out back and chop stuff up. Heaven forbid you went away on a week's vacation. When you came back, that garden was reclaimed by the woods. It was amazingly fast. But your mind is much the same. There's always stuff growing in your mind. There's truth that's beginning to grow and flourish and bear fruit. But there's also weeds of lies and deceit. And if we don't take the hoe of God's Word and apply it regularly and liberally to our mind, you cannot be surprised when your mind turns into this wild, woolly, disordered place. The, 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 the world is constant in speaking lies into your mind. You cannot turn on the TV or listen to the radio or scroll much online without having the poisonous seeds of error planted in your brain. And it's like a Florida summer day. It just finds room to flourish and grow there. And if you are not in the habit of taking God's Word like a hoe and chopping away regularly at error by filling your mind with truth, you cannot be surprised when the day comes when your mind is overrun with the weeds of error and deceit. And it is hard to see good things for, for all the weeds that are growing there. Paul says in Colossians 3, again, this passage that parallels Ephesians 4, he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on, the, on earth. So fill your minds with the truth of heaven. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here in Ephesians, Paul prays for us in Ephesians 1, 18 through 19, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope to which God has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Why does he want us to see these things with the eyes of our hearts? Because this is what renews the spirit of the mind, when it is full of the truth of God's power and promises. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, also of Ephesians, Paul prayed for us that we might have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Well, why? Because when your mind is filled with the love of Christ and all the fullness of God, then the spirit of your mind is renewed and freed from the deceit of the world. And out of that renewed mind comes new attitudes, comes new resolves, new affections, a new growing passion for the right things, practices and habits, and they clothe you with righteousness and holiness. And this new person that you become is indeed the creation of God himself, and to God belongs all the glory. Now, the reason why uh, here on New Year's Sunday, I want to talk to you about the importance of being in God's Word in 2023 is not because I want to in any way cool your enthusiasm for whatever good resolves you've formed. And I hope that in addition to your plans to lose weight and pursue financial goals and get into the gym and things like that, 
I hope that we as God's people also have some spiritual-minded resolves for 2023. But I do think that it's worthy to consider that when Paul says, put on the new self, he is talking about new ways of living. He is talking about new behaviors, new attitudes. But he says, I think very clearly and through the whole counsel of Scripture that we've just seen, that it's foolish to think we can get there through sheer human willpower. You, this needs to be done in conjunction with God's Word. The God, Word of God is the language of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit runs to the well, is there anything for it to draw up? So my challenge is, yes, form good resolves. We've talked about that on other New Year's Sundays before where Paul talks about uh, that, that God helps us with our good resolves. There's some passages that speak to that. But I think, too, that an important part of your efforts this year to put on the new self, put off the old, to bring some order to the wild and woolly inner world of Josh Tate and your heart and mind, has to be a, a deep, enduring commitment to letting God's Word do its work in our life. And here in the verses 25 through 32, Paul describes the practical outworking of a person who has been renewed in the spirit of their mind. Verse 25, he writes this through 32. Therefore, it starts with therefore. So after talking about putting on the new self, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. That's a good New Year's resolution. Uh, maybe you're somebody who struggles with making false statements, with exaggeration. Maybe, you have, maybe you're guilty in the privacy of your own heart with uh, just harboring things that aren't true, spreading gossip and that sort of thing. Maybe one of the things that God would have you pursue in the new year is to put away falsehood and let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Maybe this is a good resolve for this coming year. Maybe as you're renewed by the spirit of your mind, you spend time in God's word, you grow in the conviction that you're somebody who struggles with anger. You have people in your life that you have said words to that should not have been spoken. You've never gone to them to make it right. And not only that, but you are now seeing that in the life of our church or in your family, you've given opportunity to the devil to sow some mischief through your anger. This is a great way, but again, I think it's, um, that's a good resolve, but you're going to be helped in the pursuit of a good resolve to put away anger by spending time with God and His Word. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love, by the way, that he doesn't just say stop stealing. Christianity is a maximalist faith, not a minimalist. Like a minimalist faith would say, do no harm. But we're at Christianity, God always goes to this place 
that's maximum, where the, the golden rule is not do no harm. That's the silver, silver rule. The golden rule is do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Do a good thing. Be a blessing and a help. And I love that here, what the Holy Spirit-inspired words of Paul say is not just stop stealing, but wouldn't it be great if you were a source of material blessing to others? Think about that. Just not only put away this tendency that you've had to take stuff wrongfully, but putting on the new self means that you will seek to be somebody who provides as a blessing and a help to others. I love that. It's maximalist. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." I'll just continue on here. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love this picture that Paul gives us of the practical outworking of what he describes. This is what it looks like for somebody whose mind has been renewed by the Spirit. Their mind has been shaped by God's Word. The Spirit has guided them into a place where they've looked and seen beautiful spiritual truths and not content to just walk away from what they've seen. They go out to live it out personally, to put off the old habits that have been so much in evidence down through the years and to put on a new, more excellent way. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in this coming year, my brothers and sisters would form good resolves. But God, I pray that their efforts to pursue those good resolves would not be absent or separated off from a continuing, enduring resolve to be with you in your word. God, we all long to see practical sanctification in our lives. But Jesus said, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. We need your word if we are to make much progress in this uh, effort of being sanctified. And so, Father, I pray that you would make of us in 2023 people of the book. Father, I pray that you would shape us in wonderful ways, profound ways, according to your word. God, once again, a passage I've already quoted this morning in a prayer, but Father, we know who we're talking to. We know that you're the God whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so, Father, when we come to your word, We know that unlike other books that we might read, it is the book that reads us. And when we set out to dissect it, it is the one that does a dissecting work in our own hearts. Father, we invite you as we join you in the midst of your word to meet us there with power. Father, as we form good resolves, as we read your word and become convicted, 
as we see a, a beautiful picture of a more excellent way that we want to follow, putting off the old ways that were born in deceit and error and putting on the new born out of truth. Father, I pray that in your word you would fuel that pursuit. You would support it. And God, help us, not only individually but as a community, to walk in these days as an honest reflection of our Lord. Help us to be like a living reminder of Jesus in the midst of these days in this place. And Father, along with all the other good resolves, may we resolve to be in your word in 2023. From January straight through to December, God, I pray that we would commit to spending time with you regularly and often in your word. God, apply the hoe of your word to all the weeds of error that are currently threatening to take over the whole, th the whole thing. We ask you to do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.